Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Orlando Ortiz is a fitness enthusiast who believes in movement as medicine. With that in mind, the goal is always to get a daily dose of DONE, an acronym for Discipline Over Never-Ending Excuses. He also focuses on ancestral eating and marvels at how far we have strayed away from our original ways. As a result of his readings, he has gone from keto to carnivore and has reaped remarkable rewards on many levels of fitness. Orlando has a bachelor's degree in physical education and a master's degree in health education from Brooklyn College at the City University of New York. He has taught high school physical education and health at Leon M. Goldstein for over 25 years. Along with teaching, he has been the boys' basketball coach for over 10 years. Just as strong as his passion for nutrition and exercise is his passion for reading. In the last five years, Orlando has read over 100 books a year. His favorite topics are stoicism, psychology, exercise, nutrition, biographies, and any nonfiction books that happen to pique his interest. Orlando chooses to live life intentionally and not by default, with the mindset of focusing on the WIN, an acronym for what's important now. Orlando Ortiz, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much. Beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. Very honored to be here. It's such an honor to host you. I'm not even exactly sure how we started following each other on social media, but I just absolutely love your content and I love the gym that you go to. And the gym that you go to is called a playground, which I love. You spend a lot of time on that playground doing exercise. What have you learned, especially like with the pandemic about being really resourceful about the things you have around you? Well, I, I like to call it fresh air fitness. You know, you have you have outdoor calisthenic areas, you know, throughout New York City and throughout the country and the world, really. And um, anytime I could get to a park and, uh, you know, again, just open up, bring maybe a piece of equipment. I call them big boy toys. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's just exciting. And then a, a lot of the parks, most of the parks are different. So you get a little bit different, uh, you know, options. And then it's up to your creativity. So. I love it. Again, I like to call it uh, fresh air fitness. Fresh air fitness. I might steal that, man. You better patent that before you steal it. That's great. (laughs) Listen, Seneca said it best. What's well said is mine. And Uh, I think that's so true. You know, whatever's well said, take it for yours, you know, as yours and use it because it, it makes us better. So. Um, I like that saying, you know, whatever's well said is mine. I love that. <laughs> well, man, I was just going to say, like, when you find your people, you really know your people. And, and it's it's so difficult in this day and age to find people who are leading by example. And when it comes to health and fitness, when, you know, we, we're just seeing the health of the general population in such a decline. And to find people who are excited about life, excited about fitness, they're they're walking the walk. You know, you, you are absolutely jacked. And, you know, concepts like stoicism, we both share a passion for. I just... I. I really honor and appreciate that about you, that you're able to bring that to the world because we need more of those examples. And, you know, even things like working out outside, like I love my community center. It's a really great place to go to lift weights, but I like to feel like people are around me looking at me doing something that's really unconventional and it is accessible to everybody. And hopefully people get the fact that like you can go on a walk, you can do some pushups, you can use whatever equipment you have available and it's going to be fine. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, and I just think that, um, we, you know, we have to show it at all stages, not just the younger folks go to the park uh, that, you know, a middle aged person. Right. You know, I'm, I'm nearing my 50s now. Um, a middle aged person can also get outside and, and you know, sprint and jog or walk, do it what's best for you. But you got to move to improve and you have to commit to this as a lifestyle. Um, we're in trouble. You know, as a society, we have you know, an overwhelming amount of people. I think the numbers are like close to 50% are either obese or overweight. And, you know, it's a problem. And I see it as a high school teacher where, you know, more and more kids coming in 
that you know could barely do burpees and and you're looking at it like wow what you know how where what just happened you know but it's happening and it's real and so the more people like us that are out there uh, i think at least like i like to say when i when you know my wife for me were raising my son um he'll never be able to say nobody didn't not only tell him but show him and if you see it in front of you and you choose different then that's your life's decision but at the same time you'll never be able to say i didn't see what what it was about you know i saw people out there exercising I just didn't do it. <laughs> so, you know, um, and you have people like that. I mean, in our world now, you know, we, we have a huge problem, you know, food is just, you, you, it's hard to recognize it. <laughs> and then with a movement and exercise, you know, have people that just don't, don't see the value in it. Um, so it, we're in a really tough place, you know, as, as a society. So yeah, the more people like us, Oh man, the better. Yeah, I totally agree. I want to deep dive into your story and how you got interested in health and fitness. And I don't often meet a lot of people who get into health and fitness at the level that you get into without having to overcome quite a few obstacles. And so I'd love to talk about your story, your history, how you got interested in health, and also some of the obstacles you've had to overcome in your life. Yeah, well, for me, you know, fitness was through sport. You know, I, I was always a kid that played sport. That's probably one of the best things my father did for me, you know, um, was to introduce me to baseball. And then, you know, that that just got the whole thing going. And then uh, as a freshman, by the time I'm a freshman at Brooklyn College, uh, that's like the first time that I really got involved with lifting consistently. Uh, I remember I couldn't bench press 135. <laughs> and, uh, you know, getting uh, used to doing dips as a way to improve my bench press. And then seeing my body kind of growing, and then that was, to me, that was where it all began. I mean, I dabbled a little bit in high school, but I didn't have many resources uh, growing up in Puerto Rico. But when I came back to New York and then being at Brooklyn College, you know, you got the weight gym and then you see the, you know, the kind of the muscle developing, your confidence, you know, coming up a bit, and then your skill level improving as a result of the added strength. And you just see it like, wow, this works. And and then it just became a lifestyle where, you know, I made it not only uh, into something that I do on my free time, but also into a career, right, where I teach physical education and I try to help kids understand the value of, of not just sports, but obviously movement, you know, and just uh, getting out there and doing something consistently. So, you know, it's been an amazing experience. And, you know, here I am, you know, again, 49 years old and, and as young as I'll ever be, like I like to say. So, uh, you know, it's been it's been fantastic. I, I just um Sometimes I think more than anything, like, you know, that nothing lasts forever. And so much of the stuff I really enjoy that I just, I just cherish it. And even when I have minor injuries, I'm like, man, but this can't be the last time I do, you know, whatever X, Y, Z, you know, like you might have a little tendonitis that you get, or like lately I've been having a golfer's elbow, uh, through the, because of the pull-ups. Um, and so you want to keep it because you're like, this is, this is, this is awesome. You know, you love, you love it. So, um, it's been an amazing experience, man. I just, um, I don't know what happened. I don't know how, how I, you know, made it so that it was a part of me, but it's a part of me. It's who I am. It's, it's, you know, it's what I do. It's not just what I do, but it's who I am. Yeah. That's fascinating. I want to say, I could be wrong about this, but I want to say it was Oliver Berkman in his book, 4,000 weeks where he, he kind of brought up the point, like there's going to be a last time you do everything and, and having that in mind, like we have on average about 4,000 weeks to be on this earth. That's not guaranteed or promised, but every time you do something, it could be the very last time that you do that particular thing. And it's just to say, like, appreciate the things that you have while you have them. Yes, I read that book and that was, that's a powerful book, you know, and those are hard truths that a lot of people like to, uh, you know, kind of repress, right? 
Um, there's a really good book. I read it twice, The Denial of Death, that, you know, kind of talks about those things where you don't, you don't want to think of it that way. But that's the reality that, you know what, this could be the last time. And if it's going to be, I'm going to make the best of it because, you know, I know that nothing lasts forever. And I'm at peace with that. Right. But you got to get to these spaces. So for a lot of us, books like that, you know, like the 4,000 Weeks book, they're hard, you know, hard to absorb. But um, that's where your growth is, you know, so. I'm thankful that I, I read books like that. To me, Seneca's on the shortness of life is always a reread because of that, because you have to remind yourself that, you know, um, this is part of your journey. And so enjoy everything, you know, and my favorite phrase, amor fati, you know, like love your fate, you know, love it all. So I love that. So obviously in the beginning you were drawn towards sport, but you were also drawn to the weight room in particular. And there's lots of different ways that we can work out, but uh, it's interesting that you found the weight room and strength training as a way that you wanted to become more fit. I'm just curious to know, like over time, what, what, what have you changed your mind about as far as strength training goes? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, more than anything is adapting to, to where I was at the time. So in college, you know, I'm just trying to get stronger for sport, right. And jump higher and, you know, be able to play through contact. So you, you build up, you know, and I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. So I remember him getting stronger for the, for the Detroit Pistons, you know, and so you, you know, that was a huge influence for me. Uh, but then as, you know, as I, as I, uh, continue to grow, get into my career, now you're in your, you know, your mid thirties or your thirties and your, your, your priorities kind of change a bit, right. As far as why you're doing it. Um, and for me, it's always been aesthetics as well. I love, I love the look, you know, I love to look athletic. I love to feel athletic. Uh, uh, so that was always a, a plus. And then I just kept adapting. Um, you know, at one point I got into a lot of burpees. Um, but then I realized like there's something called chronic cardio. <laughs> and I realized like, as I got older, that wasn't going to be beneficial hormonally. So I had to kind of ease off of that and then bring back the lifting that for a number of years, I was just doing straight body weight stuff. Uh, you know, push up, pull up, burpee. Uh, but burpee is kind of to the extreme, you know, where a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago now, I, was, I did a New Year's resolution, 100 burpees for 100 days in a row. Wow. And it wasn't the workout. That was the mistake that it wasn't the workout. <laughs> then I would work out, you know, and it's just too much. And so adapting to your growth and, and as you continue to age, that you have to realize, like, in your mind, you might be 24. But in reality, you're still, you know, again, as young as you'll ever be, but you're still 48, 47, now 49. So you have to train for that as well. And what changed the most is shifting from looking great in the moment to longevity, training now for longevity, training now. You know what I like to say to myself, do the things today that your future self will thank you for. And, you know, in the beginning, you know, you're just you're just, you know, trying to bench press more than the next guy, you know, whatever. Um, but as I got older, I realized more and more, this is about longevity. And so with that, you know, uh, I, I went away from chasing PRs and chasing these extremes to just staying consistent and staying as healthy as possible, you know? So, um, that's the other thing, like, you know, you have to learn to be adaptable because sometimes you just can't do things anymore like you used to. And that's, that's the journey. And you have to accept that. I, you know, I have friends that still want to play basketball in their mid-50s. And I'm like, you can't play basketball like you used to. Now, you might just shoot around, maybe play something light. But the competitive spirit and what it really is to play basketball is for a young person. Or I should say a younger. Now, are there exceptions? Of course. And maybe you're one of them. But if you're not, if you're going home with aching knees, 
if you're going home with, with a sore back, chances are you need to maybe adjust your, you know, what you're trying to do with yourself for, for fitness. <laughs> so yeah, I've been lucky, you know, that I've been able to adapt. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, I, so how do you, how do you help young people really understand that? Because you're young, you're bulletproof, you think you can do whatever for the rest of your life, but you're right. Some things will catch up with you over time and playing that long game can be right. really difficult. And so with the people you work with, you know, some of your clients and also, you know, the kids you work with, yeah. you mentioned chronic cardio, which is another really kind of a short-sighted way to look at fitness. Like it, 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 the treadmill right. shows me the calories I burn. I want to get that number up as high as possible today to burn a lot of calories today how do you help people shift into the longevity mindset yeah i i think for a lot of them it, it's a space that they you know like they like i like i've learned everybody runs their own race and so sometimes in the beginning you know you're just dealing with a, with a person that's a hot rod and maybe reward like the high school kid is a good example where you know they just want to go fast and they want to show you how many push-ups they can do and you know and it's like well no uh, do as many as you can but tomorrow we're going to do it again <laughs> right so think about the soreness you might be building on and so on and so forth. But I think some, for some of them is just the experiences they're going to have to gather. It takes a very, a very special person to learn from the experiences of others. Most people don't have those abilities. Most people are going to learn from their own experiences. And that's just what it is to be pretty much average, right? If you want to be above average, it really is about taking the experiences of others and, and also adding them to your ability to make decisions for yourself, not mimicking them, but adding them to your, your abilities. And then you have a reference that is just expanded. And so there's plenty that I've told, you know, told, Hey, slow down on that too much there. You might not want to do that too, too much too soon. And then some kids, you know, the ego overwhelms them. Right. And like, I like to tell them, look, your ego is not your amigo. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> you know, um, but for some, you're going to have to leave them and let them find their way. And it's everybody runs their own race. So, you know, there's been plenty of times kids come back like, man, Ortiz, you know, I remember you said that. And now I understand. And it's like, well, at least it stayed with you. And when the time was right, you know, that um, that message now resonates. But in the moment, sometimes they're just not ready. And you have to you have to, you know, leave them with that as well. So, you know, I like to say everybody runs their own race and. In the beginning, I think a lot of us, we have that, you know, like that, that extreme enthusiasm, um, but that doesn't get you but so far, you know, what you really need is that consistency. Um, and that's the, that's the hard part, you know, because it's a slow and steady. It's a, it's a process. It's a progression. And for a lot of the younger kids, you know, again, think about where they're coming from. Right? They're coming from a world of instant gratification. They don't know anything but that. You know, when I was in high school, we still did layaway, <laughs> you know, where you would, you would pay for something little by little. And then when you finish the, the payment, you would, you would get the, the merchandise, you know, and a lot of times my mom would go shopping like that with me where she would just pay little by little. It's called layaway. And, um, now you, you put on your credit card, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, so you, we have kids that never knew about these things, right. That you had a little by little and put, put your money away or save, right. Little by little, when you got you accumulated, that's delayed gratification. Kids don't really understand that as much. So when you see kids do that, it's it's really impressive now because the options are just give it to me now. You know? Yeah, yeah so, I agree. I, I agree. And that's one of my other favorite parts about fitness. And I would say strength training in particular, the people that gravitate towards strength training, I feel like they understand that this is a process and they appreciate the process so much more. Right. Yeah, like there's um there's a nice saying. I think it's from the Tao Te Ching, 
Uh, it's come up plenty of times, but you know, like it's, it's the ability to, to be at peace with the fact that you, you are entitled to the labor, but not necessarily the fruit. And so, right, you, you learn to love the process and you might not get to the exact thing that you want. You know, sometimes now more than ever with social media sees, shows us these amazing bodies and somebody might say, well, I lift weight, so I want to look like that. And, and that's, you know, usually that's a mistake, right? Because you're never going to look like that. All you're going to look like is you uh, and hopefully a better version. But in that journey, if you could use it as motivation, then that, that could be a useful tool. But if you want to look like that, then a lot of times you're setting yourself up for failure because that picture could have been, you know, uh, manipulated in so many different ways, you know, and a lot of times we don't realize the lighting and the, how many, you know, the, how many pictures it took to get that image, how many videos it took. And a person might be looking at that and thinking, oh, I want to look like that. Well, in reality, the person doesn't even look like that. <laughs> Such a good point. <laughs> So congruent with your journey into strength and strength training and fitness in general is also this journey with nutrition, right? And so I'm curious to know, when did you first start consciously thinking about the foods that you were eating and how they were affecting your health and fitness and, and how that journey changed over time? Yeah, you know, I think back now, because I've learned so much in the last couple, like the last year or so, I've learned a lot, a lot. Um, and I always was curious, like, you know, even from uh, from college, really, where I got a hold of the muscle medias and the flex magazines. And I was reading those magazines, you know, cover to cover, subscribing, learning about the legend of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And um, but there was a book that I read this year that I wish I had, man. It's it's called Muscle Smoke and Mirrors. And this this uh, Randy Roach. I actually, you know, again, in our world, you could contact these people. Right. So. I actually emailed him. He answered back. And um, he talked about how the muscle and, and fitness industry evolved. And then you realize, like, man, all the stuff that I was reading, they were just kind of, you know, it was a lot of, uh, I guess you could say propaganda or really crafty marketing, right? Where, you know, they're selling these supplements and I'm believing and I'm buying these protein powders. So I was always, you know, curious and willing to try. Um but, it, you know, it wasn't until a long time later that I started to really learn. My first books were like graduate school. I read Marianne Nestle's uh, Food Politics. Wow. Yeah. And I read Fast Food Nation. And those were like really, really turning points for me. Uh, Schlosser, I think the author, last name, Fast Food Nation. It's basically supersized me in a book, you know, before supersized me, the, the documentary. And those two books in graduate school is when I really started to see nutrition different. And especially Nestle's food politics, where it was the first time, you know, I studied health education. They never really talked about these things, you know. And so it was the first time that I really started to see a different world. And I'm like, wait, you know, there's the smoke and mirror stuff that, you know, I didn't I wasn't so aware of. So um, and then over time, I just kept being open to new ideas. I think that to me has been the, the, the greatest blessing is the ability to be open to new ideas. And to continually replace them when other information comes in, that's better. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius has that line, right? Whoever can teach me or refute me, if you could t show me different, I'll change. Just just show me. And that ability, right, to, to do that should be, you know, something that we all strive for. Because, uh, right, we, the strongest cognitive bias is confirmation bias, right? So this idea that I know already and that, that's it. <laughs> You know, and I'm only going to give information that proves my point. No, I want the other side. You know, I want I want the you know, the stuff that maybe contradicts 
uh, that goes against the grain, you know, counterculture sometimes. And then, um, so Marionessa might've been one of the first books that I, it kind of was, you know, really eye-opening. Um, and from there, I just kept learning. But um, I would say the last five years in particular has been just an amazing journey of reading and YouTubing, right? Where you kind of, and podcast stuff where I read, I read the author and then I listen to the podcast of the author. That's how you and me, you and me uh, got, got in touch really was because I, I listened to, I was reading Buxton, which is the, uh, what the big plant-based con, I think it's called. The great plant. Yes. So good. So I'm reading that you, you, you pop up on my, on my, uh, on my, you know, I'm looking her up on a podcast. You pop up, I listen and I'm like, man, what an amazing interview. I go and share it. And then you and me connect, you know? So, but again, this is the world we live in. We can literally not only read the author, but listen to the author. Yeah. You know, so that's uh, been a, most of my journey now is just learning as much as possible and at, at rates that I would have never thought, you know, early on, like, man, what a time, you know, what a time. Yeah, really. No, you're absolutely right. The whole reason why we decided to start this podcast for me was it was a way to get back to a medium that I had learned so much. I mean, you know, all my personal training certifications, nutrition coaching certifications, they were great at the time, but I learned far, far, far more through podcasts in the last, you know, eight, 10 years than I learned from any of those things. And and you're right. It is such an amazing time that we live in that we can pull those things up. The other thing I really appreciated about podcasting is you get to know the author and what they think that day, you know, whatever Jane put in this book is, is great and it's here, but if she changed her mind about something, like you can't easily change that with a podcast, you get that person's thoughts today. Yes. And you know, it's been so special to, um, learn from them, you know, like the other thing that I, I, I try to tell, I talk to my son about, you know, and sometimes to the high school kids is developing the courage of your convictions. Right. And what happens is now, because we have this smoke and mirrors thing where, are so they're like dinosaurs you know and there's so many other agendas hidden agendas that play into how they get to the the food pyramid how they get to you know what they think or what they want to tell the public is is good information in terms of nutrition and then when you get to the post the folks that are really speaking on it it go it go it runs counter to what what a lot of times what you know government is saying and so now you have to learn for yourself and trust your own ability to put the information together that is going to go counter what a whole system is telling you, yeah. um, you know, reading, reading, um, Dr. Weston Price's book. Wow. Wh- I mean, what a book. And to think like, wait a minute, that wasn't in school. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and the book is written, written in the 1930s. Like it, it should have been in school. That's right. You know, by the time I get there and you like, wait, learning about Pottinger's cats, you know, and then you, wait a minute, wait, this happened. And this, how did I not learn this? How did this not come up in my health classes? Oh, there's a system in play. Oh, we have we have other other uh, you know forces that decide what information we put out to the to the young minds. So you know that's where you have to develop the courage of your own convictions and and just learn for yourself. So yeah. um, one one of my favorite words I might have mispronounced might mispronounce it, but uh, autodidactic, right? Like to just be self-taught. And a lot of us, you know, that's where we're going to find the best information is when you seek it yourself. Because if you're waiting for a system to teach you something, uh, you might be 30 years behind. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're going to be waiting a long time. 
Yeah. Yes. So yes. you'll never make it. Yep. That's right. So you mentioned that your nutrition journey really has changed in the last four or five years. And, you know, obviously you've stumbled into the low carbohydrate space at some point yes. and, and, and had to change your opinion about things. And, and the most common thing that I hear that people have to change their opinion on is fat, fat as a macronutrient fat is terrible for you. It's going to kill you to all of a sudden, like maybe it's not so bad. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into learning about different macronutrients and how you changed your mind about them in particular with fat? Yeah. Oh, you're hitting it on the head. That was exactly it to, to, to learn to basically have thin fat, <laughs> press your fat, right? Your healthy fat. I mean, that was a process because I can bodybuilder magazines. I came from Reno Schwarzenegger's encyclopedia of, you know, I forget what it was called, but so the bro, the bro science, right. You know, was low fat, high carb. And, you know, so like when I'm, when I, one of the first books I read, it might've been Dr. Jason Fung's book or um, maybe Asprey's book, but you know, they, they tap into that ketogenic type of nutrition. Even before that, actually Mark Sisson, I read his book. Um, and then, um, you know, it's shifting now. And I'm like, wait, what fat, healthy fats and, you know, coconut oil. Uh, so over time, and then, um, I think the book that really turned it for me, because I was low carb and I saw great results with low, with low carb, high fat, low carb. Sister's book, you know, the primal blueprint is kind of like the beginnings of getting into the low carb stuff. Uh, before that, years before that, I read Body for Life, Bill Phillips. Yeah, wow. But that's a yeah, that's a more bodybuilder approach, right? Where, you know, and, uh, you know, in retrospect, his idea of like the, the cheat meal or cheat day. I'm not too convinced about that today and now, you know, knowing what I know. I agree but, with um, you on that, by the way. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. So now, but Sisson's book got me, got me turning. And then I just kept learning. And I, um, I forgot which book was a turning point to go keto. But I know I was reading Dr. Jason Sfung book, uh, The Obesity Code, Amazing. which is very, very influential. You know, um, Asprey's book, you know, with the, you know, with the coffee that he liked. Uh, now, I don't think he does it anymore. but um. I read his book and then I, I, you know, I get into the keto stuff um, and I read everything I can on keto and it just makes sense, you know, um, as far as the benefits, you know, the uh, getting into um, what do you call that, um, you know, into fasting a bit and then realizing, you know, how I can use fat as energy and that, you know, the carbs are not essential, right? So you have essential fatty acids, you have essential amino acids. You don't have any essential carbs. Right. So learning these things, is, it was, you know, and then get, taking away the big four, right? Or the bread, the pasta, you know, uh, what was the other big four? Um, bread, pasta, I'm forgetting now, but, you know, rice, you know, and just a little for me as a Puerto Rican, you know, rice and beans was like an everyday thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the going joke back in the day was uh, why don't Puerto Ricans barbecue? And the answer is because you can't make rice and beans on the grill. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's funny. That's a good one. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, but no, and then just learning, learning to trust the fats. Um, but I got to say, and I did keto for a number of years and I always struggled because again, it, keto got infiltrated, right? And now you have, you go to Costco, you have all these keto snacks, you have all these things that are borderline at best keto, but they pull you. Oh, that's keto. I could eat it, right? I could eat keto cookies. And that's what I love the most about carnivore, which last November I got into it and it's been the absolute best experience, man. Cravings faded out. I don't have, I loved, I enjoy the diet so much. And I learned from people like Saladino, people like Sean Baker, uh, 
Cho. I forget her first name. I want to say Judy? Elizabeth Cho. Judy Cho. Judith. Judy Cho. For the, all, those three books in particular, I read right away. And that just became the shift where, uh, you know, they don't all agree on everything. But the basic concepts, I totally agree with. And they make sense for me. And when I got into it, it's been like the most amazing experience. I tell people all the time, like the carnivore diet to me is the best. Like I feel great. My, my, my energy is super high and I'm not fighting food. Even on keto, I was always fighting, you know, the urge to have like, you know, treats. Um, with carnivore, I don't have that. Like I literally could eat. I just ate at 11 and I eat again at five. And I, I usually I eat twice a day and I feel great. Yeah. And it's not now like uh, something to fight. You know, because it's hard to fight food, right? You you only have so much willpower. You know, a, a late night snack becomes acceptable, right? You just rationalize it away. Um, now, a late night snack could be a raw egg. <laughs> That's right. It's so easy. Yeah, yes. it's. So I love easy. it. I love it. That's awesome. So let's let's go back and tell us what kinds of benefits you notice as you were stepping through these different diets. I have to say, like most people who end up a carnivore, they seem to have that exact same progression. I found I was eating standard American or what I thought was good. Then I found paleo yeah. or primal. That got me this benefit. Then I found low carb keto. That got me this benefit. Then I went to carnivore and all of these things happened then. So can you take us through, like, yeah. what did you notice in particular as your journey was going on and you went into primal and then you went to keto and then you went to carnivore, which, what things did you notice changed? Yeah, well, always, and it's funny because the bodybuilders, when I read Muscle, Smoke, and Mirrors, that's what Randy Rhodes talked about, that the bodybuilders all, always understood that carbs were the way you changed your body. And you, and you had two options for energy. You had fat and carbs, right? But the way you got, you transformed was always to manipulate the carbs. And that's what I noticed that the more I took out the carbs, the leaner I was, the stronger I felt, the less sluggish. Uh, also, you know, which I didn't recognize it at the time, but less inflammation uh, that, you know, you don't realize it, that it's, it's the food that's doing that to you, right? I'm just thinking, oh, I feel sluggish. Yeah, you had a bowl of pasta yesterday with bread and you ate your wife's cake uh, along with yours. <laughs> Half of your wife's cake as well, as well as yours. So yeah, you're feeling sluggish. And that's what I noticed is the more I, I, I eliminated the carbs, the leaner I looked, the stronger I felt and less of these dragging moments where, you know, you, like you could eat, even with keto, like you could eat and keep going. Whereas when you had a standard American diet meal, the moment you ate, you just want to lay up somewhere. It, you're sluggish. You're, you're a mess, you know? Um, and that's something that I realized that the, fur, the, the more I got, closer I got to, you know, from the further away I went from the standard American diet, the better I felt. And, and it just became something that I realized this was going to be for me. And once again, it's developing the courage of your convictions because the people around you, they're eating regular food. You know, they're eating the, the, you know, in New York city and Brooklyn, you got pizza everywhere. You got pastries everywhere, you know, and, and 95 to yeah, 95% of the places that are to eat are carb driven. And then you're coming in like, Hey, uh, I'm not going to eat that. Well, yeah, that's counterculture. So you better have strong convictions of the reasons you're doing this, because if not the influence, right, we're tribal by nature, our influences tend to be the, by the people around us. And you're not going to convince many people to try keto, <laughs> you know? So, you know, so I learned, I learned to develop the courage of my convictions. And um, that's one thing I got to say, I never was vegetarian. I never was vegan and I have zero plans. You know, I respect them. They, that's their choice. But I got to say, 
It's, and it has to do with, like, uh, James Clear talks about it a bit in Atomic Habits. It's your identity. It's getting to a point with your diet that becomes your identity. So, so if you are a carnivore, then you are a carnivore wherever you go. And I think that's where a vegan does really well is, like, you, you, can't, you can offer them steak, but they're going to say, I am a vegan. This is who I am. And that part I could always admire because you, that's where you should be at if you're a carnivore, if, you're, you know, if you follow keto, is you shouldn't be influenced by other, by other people's eating because this is who you are. And so with that, you don't make apologies for that. Um, you know, my wife understands, my son, you know, we go out to eat. I, would, I need a place that I have an option for steak. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting argument. I've never heard it exactly put that way. And that's definitely kind of changed my mind a little bit about how I've thought of that in the past. I've always thought like you don't want to get too wrapped up into what your identity is. But you're right. There is a, an interesting way of looking at that, of saying like, if I if I am this, then I can be this the whole time. And that's definitely something that I noticed when yeah. I started to go more strict carnivore. When I just said, I'm carnivore. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not like trying to figure out like what plant foods are going to work. I'm just going to go strict carnivore. Right. The thing that I figured out is it was so much easier actually to be a hundred percent than it was to be 90%. Yes. Cause there's no question the, the middle part yep. of the store, you're not going to see me in unless I'm walking through to get to the discounted meat section. Like that's it. That's right. That's right. And and that's, that's makes decision-making so much easier and then a lot of the stuff that I read about that at first I was like, no, there's no way like about your, your cravings fading. Because I, I was a big cookie guy. I was a big chocolate lover, you know, uh, cheesecake. And all that stuff faded. It's been, the, that's the most, to me, that's the, been the, the greatest part of being carnivore is I just don't have cravings. And, and my, you know, again, my wife and son, there are times where they, they'll have, you know, ice cream. And I, don't, I can watch them and not feel deprived. Where when I was low carb, and getting into those moments where I was trying to like cut up, for, you know, for the summer or whatever, you know, get leaner. Those are, I would have to fight food. I'd have to fight food in my mind. Like, oh, I can't do that. You know, only one treat meal a week. <laughs> um, and so now with carnivore, I don't have those, those thoughts like that. Like, and I learned from um, uh, Natasha Campbell about, you know, the gut bacteria and how things change in your stomach. And then all of a sudden, because that's where your cravings come from, like, you know, according to her. And um, I, I said to myself, wow. So in changing my diet, I changed my, my gut, you know, gut bacteria, gut flora. Um, and then your cravings changed. And so now my craving is the steak is the cake, <laughs> you know. And, and I, I just I marvel at that. Like I must have told my wife this over 20 times. Like, man, I just cannot believe that I'm not craving these foods that I used to always crave. I mean, I was a huge cookie guy. And now it's not something that I fight. It's not. And, and I have people around me now that, you know, at times they might do it. And I, I'm fine because I know the steak is the cake. Yeah. So I love that. I'm happy. I love that. Yeah. No, I, it's something that you really take for granted, isn't it? Like it just kind of slips away. It's not an active thinking about it. It, it. When you said all of those foods, there was no part of me that like was like, wow, cheesecake. That does sound good. Like it, it loses yeah. all of its power. None of it really sounds that great. And I've used this example before right. last year after, you know, the pandemic kind of calmed down. We took our first trip down to Mexico. We went to an all inclusive and my wife and I were talking on the plane ride down. Like, look, you know, we do carnivore at home, but this 
a vacation. You know, we're going to the beach. It's right. all inclusive. There's nothing limiting for us that we have to eat a certain way. We we like to eat carnivore. It it makes us feel really good. And and we just talk like you know right. when we're down here on vacation, we can eat any certain way, and it'll just be fine. And there, I'm telling you, man, there was not one single meal that I felt like any particular food that wasn't carnivore was worth me losing time on my vacation feeling terrible. Not once right. did I go off. Yes. Well, it's funny you say that because we went to Costa Rica this summer as well, last month, um, and we stayed at all-inclusive as well. And the same thing. I mean, I just, I really enjoyed my pouched eggs. They had, you know, sashimi as options for dinner. So I, I was enjoying some of the raw foods that I've learned to like. And, um, and even, uh, you know, the medium rare steaks, they will make them for you, the burgers. So it, it was fantastic. And yeah, like, I don't know. I, I tell people, cause people ask me like, I've, I've really, because of, you know, as a, how can I say reading stuff from Pat Saladino and, and a few others, you know, Randy Roach as well. I'd start to dabble into some of the raw food eating and, um, Dr. Weston Price's book, you know, showed that this has been something that, you know, we've done throughout, you know, our history. Um, so a lot of times people ask, ask me, like, what does it taste like? And, I, and my answer I got from somewhere else, but it's the best answer that I think, you know, really gets to that is nothing tastes as good as I feel. Mm. And that to me is the part that a lot of people don't realize. Like they want the 4th of July in their mouth. They want fireworks with every bite. And it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not living to eat. I'm eating to live. And with that, this is one of the best options that I've come across. Now, it's not for everybody, but I've come to realize this really works well for me. Now, is it forever? I don't know. But for now, it's been absolutely amazing and I'm enjoying it. And with that, I, I could stand you know, firm and say, hey, this, this works for me. And a lot of people are not going to understand it. But that's where the courage of your convictions comes into play. Where, look, you've learned it. Yeah. You've read it. You've listened. And, and it makes sense to you. You've tried it. And you've seen the results. This is, you have to have it works for me. And it goes against what a lot of people might believe, but they don't have the knowledge that you've accumulated. So with that, how can they possibly understand? That's right. That's right. You know? And for the listener who's listening to this thinking like, well, you know, Casey and Orlando eat a certain way. I could never eat in that certain way. I love my soda or I love my cookies or crackers or whatever. Really just understand that we got to this over the course of a lot of years of paying attention to this stuff. And don't get discouraged if you feel like there's things that you don't feel like you can give up now. Just be patient with the process and understand that will change over time. If you're working in more animal foods and you just start there, start with just getting more really good satiating whatever sounds delicious to you. It might not even be this same day to day, but if you know a burger sounds great to you or a steak sounds great to you, start there yes. and give yourself permission yes. to eat those foods until you're totally full. And then just trust the process. And you might really surprise yourself along the way. Some of these foods that you think you could never do without, you might just naturally not want to consume them anymore. Yeah. Uh, Seneca has a great line with that too. I forget it, but it's basically like a lot of times when we say we can't, It's not that we can't, because I'll take it to Marcus Aurelius. So Marcus Aurelius has a line. I love it. I'm always thinking about this line. He's like, if it's humanly possible, you got to believe you could do it too. Mm. Right. And that's what what, what I find with people is when they say they can't, what they really mean is that they don't want to. And that's okay. You you don't have to. (laughs) But when you say you can't, it's just not true. Because if I'm doing it, you can do it. Now, you might not want to. And that's, that's, that's a whole nother story. And that's fine. We all have, again, we all run our own race, but at the same time, 
if you're looking for a better result, chances are whatever got to where you are, got you where you are is more than likely not going to get you, get you where you want to be. So now half of the battle is what do I have to give up to get to where I want to get to? Because the person I am now is not the person I'm trying to become. So this is a process. And part of it is recognizing what has to be, and it's not necessarily a sacrifice. It's just, right, there's one of my favorite quotes, right? I, Eric Thomas said it, but he got it from somebody else. To be able to, at any moment, to sacrifice who you are for who you are to be. Mm. And for a lot of us, you're not willing to sacrifice anything. So you're going to more than likely stay where you are. But it's not because you can't. It's because you're not willing. Yeah. And, you know, that that's the real thing is you have to come to the truth in yourself and realize if you're not willing, that's fine. Then take your journey. Run your race. But don't you can't expect different, right? That's like the definition of crazy, right? When you expect a different result doing the same thing, you know, a little less, that's not going to do it. You know, uh, uh, you have to be able to immerse yourself. You have to be able to dive in and then become. And when you become, the doing takes care of itself because it's who you are, right? So in, uh, in James Clear's book, he talked about running, uh, you know, you don't run, you become a runner. And then the running is just, it's just what you do. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you don't do the diet, you become it. I am a carnivore. Yeah. So this is what I eat. This is what I do. So now, yeah, it, it's who I am. Yeah. And I like to say, no, no matter where you go, there you are. You, you went on vacation, you are a carnivore over there too, yeah. you know? And so for a lot of us, the problem is they just want to do it. I just want to lose 10 pounds. So what do I have to do? No, when you become, the weight takes care of itself. That's right. But you have to become. And that's the part that with identity that, um, you know, for some people, they might think of it as too rigid, right? In a too rigid sense where it, you stay that way. No, you're always adapting. You know, like, again, back to Marcus Aurelius. Hey, if you could teach me something different and it makes sense, I'll change. Carnival right now works incredibly well, but maybe five, 10 years from now, there's another diet that comes about that even better. Well, if the time comes and then I learn it and it makes sense to me, we might change again. We're not going to, you know, hold on, right? That's that, you know, inconsistency avoidance bias, right? We're not going to hold on to it. If something else comes along that makes sense and you can prove to me that this is an even better option, I'm open. Yeah. I'm open. Why would you, you know, close yourself that, um, off to that? Yeah, one of my favorite books is one of my classics. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson on self-reliance. Mm. I, I reread it every year. And he's like, you know, basically in, in, in more Brooklyn terms, he's like one of the dumbest things is to, is to not change your mind. <laughs> you know, I've said it yesterday one way, but maybe today I learned something that changed my mind. That's, you know, he's like, that's one of the dumbest things for you not to change your mind. What do you mean you're not going to change your mind? I learned better. Now something else makes sense. The key is, can you make these distinctions, right? And over time, this is why we have amazing brains, right? That prefrontal cortex that, you know, we, we can really do amazing things if we learn to learn and then to adjust as we go. So, you know, but I tell people, anybody who listen, I'm like, man, the carnivore diet, that's the way to go, man. You know, but again, it's counterculture and you're going to have to develop the courage of your convictions so that. When people come around you and they offer you the cake and they offer you the rice and the, and the pasta or whatever, you're like, no, I don't. I'm a carnivore. This is what I eat. Yeah. You know, so um, that's how it is, though. But it's been a special journey, man. And I just um, I just wish I knew sooner. Yeah. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. And and part of that special journey, I just want to ask you this question. I, I, I love the answers that I get to this question, but what happened when you went carnivore? What happened to your gratitude and spirituality and, um, I guess, presence in life? Uh, well, definitely a, a much stronger sense of awareness, you know, um, and also learning, like learning about the farmers, learning about, you know, buying from uh, local family farms, buy, buying from the Amish farms. Like this is, and, you know, community, I get the one uh, Dutch Meadows, they write happy faces on their stuff. Like they're, con- they're trying to connect with their, with their customers. You know what I'm saying? And then that, you know, you could, you could go to the, these farms and see what a day in the life is and how the, the meats come to be. Um, it takes me back to when I was in, in Puerto Rico. I went to high school in Puerto Rico. My, you know, we lived in obviously the country. And um, to tell you something, when I was in the third and fourth grade, we lived in Puerto Rico. My grandmother, we had a we had land, and she had a cow. And you think about that now, like wow, that was right. That's what we call. We like to call it raw milk, but we're told to call it raw milk. But in my mind, it's real milk. That's right. You know, and my grandmother was already programmed to think that milk wasn't good enough. And we was we were eat, drinking milk from the store, from from a cow that we never got to see. <laughs> wow, I know. And you you think about that, right? Like, wow, that's how that's how. By then, you know, this is probably the you know seventies, right? Early eighties. By then, she's already in a world where she's already been told, right, or taught, or you know, whatever you want to call it, that the cow you see is not the one that's healthy. You know, growing up in uh, on the island. You got to see that, like my, my my grandmother would would kill the chickens, right, and and pluck them. And the first time I saw that, I couldn't eat. Wow, because I was so far removed from the process. So when you ask me about you know doing going carnivore, that's one of the things that I, I've come back to realize. Like, man, it's such a precious thing, you know. The, and like at first, this idea of eating nose to tail, I was like, hey, what do you mean nose to tail? But but then I kept reading, right, and like again, Western Price's book where you realize this is how you honored the animal is that you didn't let it go to waste. You, you made sure you took advantage because that animal sacrificed for you, you know? And so this is how you, you, you know, you go about it. Um, and then I learned to do it where, you know, now I have liver on a regular basis. You know, I have testicle on a regular basis. I have, you know, the, the meats and you learn that this is also, there's nothing wrong with that, but coming from Brooklyn and not really knowing how, how meat made it to your plate, <laughs> <laughs> um that's one thing that I, I really have come to appreciate that um I don't know I think the day may come that I'll go on a hunting trip myself and experience it from beginning to end like I've watched the people uh hunt, you know put 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 the animal down and go through the whole process you know and, and take out the, all the organs chop up the meat and I'm fascinated by all that like it's a different connection and a different sense of appreciation for what it really is you know, to be human and to realize like, like uh, Buxton talked about it. Um, uh, was it Keith, Lear Keith, um, the vegetarian myth, you know, where this, there's nothing that lives, you know, that, that doesn't die. Right. Like we, there's nothing we, we, there's no way to have food that something isn't sacrificed for. And, you know, you have to, you have to learn to embrace that, that this is, this is real. This is how life is. Um, and you know, to understand it and then to appreciate it, I think carnivore brought me that much closer to, to that. So for that, I'm even thankful as well, you know? Wow. Um, 
Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah. I've actually been contemplating the same thing. I'm not a hunter. I didn't grow up hunting, but I would love to go through the process and recognize how difficult that would be for me to actually take a life. Yes. It would be very challenging, but here I am eating, you know, all meat and, and I'm, I'm outsourcing that responsibility to somebody else. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm with you. I would love to one day go through that process really mindfully of, of taking an animal and appreciate that animal and that animal's life and the meat and the food that it can provide. Yeah, I um I wrote a book. Um, what was the the well I know Endor, the book Endor, uh Cameron Haynes. I just read it recently and um, you know, he talked about that experience too of like, you know, when you when you kill an animal and then you know you bring it home and you, you go through that whole process. Um there was another book I, I read recently too that talked about that with the caribou. Um it had to do about doing difficult things. Yeah. But yeah, that that process, you know, that process is um it's something that we we've come we've become desensitized and we don't even realize like man that for that meat to get to your plate there was a whole process and when you learn about the factory stuff then it gets nasty uh, natasha campbell talked about you know those are those are unhappy animals that are being slaughtered that are being held against you know against their 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 natural way of being and then you know the uh, an unhealthy animal can never give you the health that you you're looking for through that food um, and how they're basically tortured, you know, and that's a different way of raising an animal that I think for those who, you know, are kind of anti-meat, I don't know if they make that distinction as, as easily, you know, where, um, you know, you can, you can raise humanely raised, right. Where you can raise animals on farm in their natural habitat and then let nature be what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I think Sean Baker talked about that too. Like, you know, we have this delusion that there's no cruelty in nature. <laughs> Like we haven't watched the nature channel, <laughs> you know, there's cruelty. And, and, and a lot of the best animals are the ones that are on nice family farms that they, you know, they get to enjoy a life until it's their turn, yep. you know, to be sacrificed, but it's everybody's turn. That's back to the book you had mentioned before that we all have our turn, you know, and uh, in the denial of death, the guy, uh, Becker, Ernest Becker, you familiar with that book, the denial of death? No, I'm not. Oh my God. Look it up. It's yeah. It's, um, is this one? Let me tell you, I read it twice, and, and he, you know, it's a kind of like a maybe like a raw way of saying it. But he's like, look, and at the end of the day, we're all food for worms, That's and right. this is our reality. That's right. You know, and uh, it, it's a hard truth, right? Where you're like, damn, that I wasn't, I didn't want it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that you have to come to realize. Look, at the end of the day, we're all food for worms, yeah. and you know. That this is this is our world. This is what we. This is how you know we're all born for this journey. Yeah. And the sooner you accept it, the sooner you embrace it. Chances are, the more you'll enjoy it. That's right. You know, I shared a quote from Seneca. He was like, "Life." You know, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but I just shared it the other day. He's like, "Life, because of death, I appreciate you so much more." <laughs> you know, and it's like, I life is great, but really, it's because I understand death. That's right. And now, because of that. I'm going to really appreciate this because this is the journey. So, uh, and then, you know, with all animals is the same. So, yeah, you know, but yeah, no, I love that. If I get another tattoo, um, on my body, it's going to be a quote from Marcus Aurelius. that says uh, a little while and we all lie stretched in death. And I don't know why that line hit me so hard when I first read it, but I, I just kept like going back to it. It would just simmer in my mind. It's like, yeah, we're here a very short time and all of us have this shared fate of like, we're here for a small time. We get to make a contribution. We get to experience life. And that's, that's about it. 
And I, I love, I yeah. love that quote. And I've so much appreciated learning more about stoicism over the years. How did you encounter stoicism and what kinds of impacts has that made on your life? Oh man. It's well, Robert Greene. Robert Greene is my favorite author. And, um, so I, 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 when I was reading his stuff, you know, 48 laws of power, I read all his books, um, you know, and then I learned that Ryan holiday was his, was his apprentice at, for a time. So I, uh, and you know, he would, he would kind of promote Ryan holiday as well. And then I got into Ryan holiday stuff. So Robert green has some stuff on stoicism a little bit, but then since he was my favorite author, when he recommended basically Ryan holiday, I got into Ryan holiday stuff and Ryan holidays, you know, the obstacle is the way it's like, that really got me into Marcus Aurelius. And then that just, man, that just started a beautiful journey. Like I, I, I love stoicism. I read stoicism practically every day. And I think stoics, I try to think like a stoic, you know, like the ultimate is to become a sage, right? You never get there, but it is to have that ability to, right. To take the good and the bad, to think of all possible outcomes, right. The sage is never surprised. I just, you know, Ryan Holiday has the daily stoic stuff. I, I've read almost all, I've read all his stuff on stoicism. I don't, I don't think I've read all his books. He had a few that weren't related to stoicism, but everything he's, he's written that I've read has been fantastic. So I'm um, looking forward to his newest book. He's doing the four virtues. So he did uh, the, the first one, Stillness is the Key. I read that immediately. Um, you know, there's some authors that skipped the line for me <laughs> <laughs> on my list. And uh, Ryan is definitely one of those that, you know, he skips the line for me. So anytime he comes out with something, I just write it to the front, nice. you know, because I always want to read his stuff right away. And I listen to him pretty much daily, you know, his daily stoic stuff every morning. And there's always takeaways. There's always something to um, to either remove or to add based on the information. So, and then I started with Marcus Aurelius. I was loving it. I've read Meditations the most. I've, I got to say, I must've read that book over 20 times easily. But the but I really then got into Seneca, man. And Seneca is my guy. So now I say I went from salsa as a Puerto Rican. I went from salsa to Seneca. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I mean, who does that, right? Like, how, how do you, but that's been, and I love Epictetus. You know, I read him every year, at least you know, the Enchiridion and discourses, but Seneca, he's much more prolific anyway. He has a lot more stuff out there and he just always, I don't know, there's always something with him. His book, The Moral Letters, you know, when he writes to his friend Lucilius, every time I read that, I've read that over five times and every time I take away something that it's like, that I never, you know, you know what they say, like, you never step into the same river twice, yeah, you know, right. so it's that. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that. I love that. I do want to close with something you've now said twice. We talked a little bit offline about this takeaways. This is kind of an interesting yeah. word for you and you've got a really cool way of describing it. Can you tell us a little bit about takeaways? Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. So this is a daily thing for me. So I, you know, I, I, I journal daily and I read daily, but, um, the takeaways is the way I read. So I read for takeaways and it has double meaning. Uh, number one, I want to take away ignorance. I, I, I want to take away things that I thought I knew, but that were not true. Right. Like, you know, um, uh, what, what, um, Mark Twain has, he's credited for that line, right. It's not what you know that gets you in trouble It's what you know that just ain't so. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> so, so, so that's what I'm my takeaways. I want to, I want to see what I thought I knew that just is not true. And so you got to be willing to, um, you know, remove ignorance and then, the other takeaway is what can I, what can I add? Right. What can I bring in? Um, that, um, like I shared this on my, on my Instagram this morning, uh, one of the quotes that I thought of, right. You want to be a botanist of your brain, right. A botanist of the brain. And that means you, you, and when you read, 
you constantly remove the weed and you add the seed. And, you know, that's like being a brain botanist, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it's a common, a constant thing, right? Like if you had a garden, you would be, you would constantly be going out there to remove weed and add the seed. So uh, with your mind and your brain, that's what you're trying to do. So I read for takeaways, takeaway ingredients, and also take away something that I could either share on social media or maybe, you know, keep in my mind, like, man, that, that, that message, that quote stayed with me today. So that's my double meaning of the word takeaways. And, um, yeah, I encourage people all the time. You know, that's how we should read. Read for takeaways, man. Something something to remove, but also something to, you know, to add. So takeaway has double meaning. Wow, I absolutely love that. Dude, when I get when I get down and discouraged about the direction we're going as a society, I'm just I I think of people like you. You're working with a younger generation. You're hopefully sharing your message with them in a way that whether they appreciate it or not now or later, it will be impactful for them. Not only the physical education, but the mental education, the learning, the the growth, all of these things that you're bringing to the table. It makes me so optimistic that it's 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 going to be okay. There's people that are going to find this work. There's people that are going to find you. They're going to be inspired. They're going to change their lives. And it's because you're putting this amazing, wonderful energy out. And I just can't get enough of it. And like I said, when I when I get bummed out and you know have have times where i don't think the situation is getting much better i'm going to you and you know we can share a, 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 a stoicism quote back yeah. and forth or an inspirational workout sure. or something that you're doing outside i just I, I love your work and i really love what you're bringing to the table can you please share what is the best way for people to find you and connect with you and your work yeah definitely the best way is, is uh instagram uh i go by the primal stoic uh, yes, the primal stoic. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always sharing quotes that I, my quotes are daily. So it's basically what I read every morning. So wherever it takeaways I get something that I feel like I share, I put it out there and, uh, it's really what basically what spoke to me that day. Um, and then I, I sprinkle in my own quotes because Seneca has a thing about that too. Like how long are you going to share other people's works? <laughs> share some of your own. Yeah, I and that. I always hear him every time I, I, I share a quote of mine, I think of him like, you know what? You've read enough. You can put some words together. You can be a little witty. You can be thought provoking. Uh, We all have that in us. You know, it's just a matter of, again, having the courage to put it out there and, you know, be a little vulnerable. I I love Brene Brown stuff on that. Right. Like, you know, to be to have courage, you have to be vulnerable. And that means putting your your words out there. Right. That you put something together and it's a little bit of a quote and you and you sign off on it. Orlando Ortiz. Right. That's my words. You know, it's for a lot of us. We don't we feel like. We're not, we're not worthy of that. Yeah. But the reality is that we all are. We, we all can be doing these things. So, you know, um, yeah, and, and I really think that, um, like I try to tell the kids now, and this is probably one of the things that I wish more people uh, would, would do. Like, if I, like, you know, you, people ask you, what would you tell your, your, your 20 year old self? You know, what would you tell that person? Uh, um, and I always say this to the kids now is, what I want you to know is that you don't have to be the best. What I want you to know is that you, if what you really want to do is to be really good at being better. Because the best is usually one, but you can be better. And in that, you have a chance to become your best. And to me, that was something that I wish somebody told me when I was in high school. And I tell kids this every single year. When you go and start your college, don't be dis- discouraged because somebody else is really good. You don't have to be the best. What you want to do is be really good at getting better. And when you do that, you're going to be the, your best. And that. that that's everything, you know? So um, that's one of those that I always try to help kids with understanding. And I think, I think it's worth it because so much, so many of us, 
we've stopped trying because we feel like we're not the best. Not realizing, you know, you just be better. Yeah. And you could be better. And with that, man, the rest is just a matter of time. That's right. Growth mindset. You're not in a fixed location. You don't have a fixed mindset. You can always grow and be better. I love that message. I love that message. Yeah. So that's great. Orlando Ortiz, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so very much for all of your work. Thank you for inspiring everybody, you know, not only the people that you come in contact with, but people online virtually through Instagram. I love your work and I really have appreciated this conversation. I think the listeners will as well and will have a lot of really wonderful information that they can take and apply into their lives. So thank you so very much for everything that you do and thank you for taking time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. Yes, it was totally my honor, Casey, and I, all the best to you and everything you're doing at Boundless Body. Uh, and I just, you know, I'm just, I was honored, you know? So again, like we started, what a world we live in that social media could unite us so cool. and we could have this exchange. And, you know, you could get to know a little bit of a guy, a boy from Brooklyn who has Puerto Rican roots. Love it. And, you know, here we are. So, man, what a, what a time. And we talk, you know, fitness and nutrition and stoicism and so carnivore. Fun. So fun. Amazing. So all the best to you. And I'm, I'm super honored. And uh, thank you. I can't thank you enough. Yeah, can't thank you as well. We're so honored to host you. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We're also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Balanced Body Radio.